Hello. So today is April 5th, 2021, and I'm following up on my last podcast where I uh, discussed the work of or the uh, work that Dell Bigtree and, and various others had advertised of Geert van den Bosch's uh, uh, interview uh, where he was concerned about mass, mass population deaths coming from the vaccine in so much that he was requesting that uh, and saying that he was coming out publicly, even though he has been in the vaccine industry for many, many years, uh, many decades, and is even trying to come up with a vaccine himself, that uh, he was saying that we needed to stop vaccinating uh, the current COVID-19 array of vaccines immediately uh, because he was concerned that, that would be there would be mass populations deaths. If you have uh, listened to my podcast, uh, my previous podcast of this one, uh, you know what I'm talking about. If not, quick summary of, of kind of what that last podcast was about. So that podcast came out, um, or actually his interview came out almost a month, not quite a month ago uh, from when I'm making this current podcast. And it has been interesting to see uh, the varied reactions to uh, this insider coming out and, you know, this vaccine um, uh, culture insider uh, that's been in, in all of the important circles for uh, vaccinations over the decades uh, come out and saying, hey, this is the worst idea ever. We need to stop vaccinations right now. So you have some people like in the Dub Big Tree video that I advertised, um, people that have been warning for several years about vac vaccines in general and the uh, issues that there are with them in, in creating health problems in the otherwise healthy. Um, uh, have Some of them have really latched onto this and say, hey, uh, we need to get this out. We need to tell people, uh, help people understand why maybe they shouldn't take the vaccine. There are others in the exact same camp that have been warning about vaccines that say, oh, we don't believe this, uh, Geert van den Bosch. Uh, one example I want to share with that is from, um, uh, from, from Joel Skousen in his World Affairs Brief. And so this one, uh, I am quoting from his March... Uh, which one is this? This is his March nineteenth uh, version of the World Affairs Brief. I will I will put a link to the World Affairs Brief in my show notes, um, and he has some pretty scathing words uh, for this uh, for Geert himself. This is what he says. Uh, he says, "I don't trust anyone who is a part of the vaccine industry and who is pro-vaccine." He admits, "quote talking about Geert." I am all but an anti-vaxxer. On the contrary, I can assure you that each of the current vaccines have been designed, developed, and manufactured by brilliant and competent scientists, end quote. Even worse, he has worked for Gavi, GlaxoSmithKline, Novaritis, and, and other vaccine proponents, as well as the Gates Foundation on vaccines. He says he is also developing his own competing uh, NK natural killer of a cell vaccine that he claims is a solution. There is no way to mass produce a safe vaccine, period. His paper is a bit complex, but I will try and simplify and bring clarity to the issues he brings up, end quote. So that was from Joel Skousen, his initial uh, a salvo against why he doesn't trust uh, what Geert was saying. And his main point is, hey, this guy is an insider. He's part of the establishment. And so I don't trust that he's coming out here to say anything worthwhile that what he's doing is a manipulation of some sort, uh, kind of putting his his paragraph into my own words. And so, like I said in my last paragraph, in my last podcast, um, and I, I mentioned, um, it is possible that he is, uh, because of how deep he has been with uh, the vaccine industry, that potentially he could be, quote unquote, controlled opposition. Um, so I wanted to address that a little bit about this manipulation of the media and how uh, um, it is, uh, uh, this manipulation of, of quote-unquote controlled opposition when it is um, what signs to look for when that may be uh, what's actually happening. And so I would say the first sign is when you have someone that's coming out from the quote-unquote the inside and they are betraying the inside, but then nothing happens to them and they get promoted later and they get awarded by the very organizations that they were supposedly coming out against, they were probably controlled opposition. So um, I'm going to mention this uh, um, in relation to Edward Snowden. So I was I was uh, watching someone comment one time. There's a movie out by uh, about Snowden called Snowden, 
Um, a very good version of that is on vidangel.com. If you watch vidangel.com and you're, um, and you're not exactly excited about watching movies in front of your kids or even without your kids with a bunch of swear words and and uh, scantily clad people, um, watch your movies on, on uh, vidangel.com and you can uh, uh, set what, uh, what scenes you want to have deleted or what type of scenes. You know, So if you don't want any swear words, it takes all the swear words out for you and you don't even have to know that they were there. Uh, so, so that's the version that I watch. I always say that as a disclaimer because um, as a practice, I avoid those kind of movies. And for those that are following me and, and have this, the same uh, desire to avoid those kind of movies, I don't want you to get surprised when you hear that, hey, I recommended the movie Snowden, and then you watch it and it has all these scenes and words that you are offensive to your, you or your family or and. And uh, so uh, watch it on VidAngel if you can, and you get all that taken out and you still get the 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 awesome parts of the story uh, without the, the kind of the the trash that people throw in there just so it can sell supposedly, which I disagree with. But that's for another podcast. Uh, so so in this movie, there was this discussion about um, online about this particular movie uh, among people that that uh, that I was um, uh, watching their conversation for a bit. And one of them was saying, well, you know, what, what do you think of the Snowden? Were there any good movies about that? And they just, they were discussing this movie, which you can find on VidAngel, uh, titled Snowden. And uh, one of the persons said, oh, Snowden is, is just controlled opposition. He was only out there to, to make people think that something was, was being done to protect their privacy when really it's not. And I can't imagine how uh, this person actually watched that movie and made that statement. And I don't think he has, but I've watched a lot, you know, I've, I've watched that movie of Snowden. Uh, there's another, uh, the one that was actually, uh, the documentary that was actually made by the press that he reached out to, uh, the documentary filmmaker that he reached out to. Um, I believe his name, the name of it is Citizen Four. Um, as well as um, uh, watched uh, multiple interviews that he's had since then, as, as I'm sure some of you probably have. And you can, you can obviously, obviously see that he has not been rewarded uh, by the inside for coming out against uh, the infringements on personal liberty that he was speaking against, infringements on our privacy that are supposed to be protected as uh, for American citizens, that, that these, that, uh, uh, that we are being basically treated as the American citizens are basically being treated as uh, uh, foreign nationals uh, by their own government and not even just foreign nationals, but like foreign enemies. And uh, you know, by the, by the amount of surveillance and surveillance that they could dig up on you if, if they decided to. And so um, Edward Snowden himself would, would has re said repeatedly that, that there is a much more going on and that we need to be doing much more to stop this. And there is no way you could, you could interpret his actions or uh, statements to say that, hey, we're, we're okay now because um, I blew the whistle and now uh, everything's fine. You know, uh, we've, uh, Congress found out about it and everything's fine now. All the, all the spying is stopped. Uh, that is not what he's saying at all. Uh, but if he was controlled opposition, that is what he would be saying. And that's what some people have argued that he's saying. Uh, but obviously, they haven't listened to him. And uh, and they just have a, um, a, a a bent, I think, towards not believing uh, or, or not doing their own research. And so, so in the case of Edward Snowden, I would say some evidence that he is not controlled opposition, opposition is first that he is still advocating for things that have not come to pass. And he has a very good logical argument for all this. He's got the evidence. He was able to produce it. And he's not being rewarded for having, by the establishment, the CIA is not giving him a new position to work for them after he comes out with this, uh, which uh, controlled opposition, the, the quote-unquote opposition is eventually rewarded by the insiders for coming out and, and quote-unquote embarrassing themselves to do what they needed to do. So in the case of Geert van den Bosch, I think the jury is still out. Um, uh, we will, I think, uh, for those that are interested, I don't know that I'm going to continue to following him per se, but I think if you wanted to, that would be a good study, is find out what happens to him as he goes down this road of um, uh, in the vaccine industry. If he is ostracized and outcast, uh, that would lend itself more to that he actually was sincere and he was willing to put his... Uh, career on the line to say what he th felt needed to be said in order to save 
his grandchildren's future. Uh, but if he is rewarded in the future, then that will be an indication that that um, that he was an insider doing the insider's bidding, bidding, and rather than working against Gates, he was working with Gates uh, to create this narrative that for whatever chess chess play that they are playing next was going to make sense and be advantageous for them. Um, so, with that being said, um, I think there's some. I think it brings up a good point. A that you know, and I mentioned this in my in my last uh, podcast um, that that Geert van den Bosch appears to be very sincere. His body language seemed to support him being very sincere. However, we see actors all the time appearing to be very sincere about lives that are completely fake and fictional um, on the movie screen, and certainly, um, and that's part of what makes an actor good is they know how to use their body language and their breath, and their voice and their tone. Uh, to imply re a reality that's not actually real. And so uh, could someone like Geert van den Bush do the same? Yeah, potentially so. And that's why we look past just the just the body language and just the uh, just the initial interview and we try to look at what he's actually saying. And uh, and in the case of um, uh, Joel Skousen, Joel Skousen also pointed out some points that that um, that I mentioned that that Geert didn't quite make a connection of all the dots. And one of the things that Joel said was, Hey, he's saying that you're going to lose all your, your, uh, natural immunity because of these vaccines. And I don't see how that's the case. Uh, but still, uh, I want to read a couple of these additional quotes from him as, uh, some, some thoughts regarding this particular, uh, interview with Geert, uh, that, that Joel brings up. And he says, once again, uh, he, re re I'm quoting Joel talking about Geert. Quote, once again, he gives no evidence. Um, sorry, my computer screen is trying to cover up these words. Here we go. Um, once again, he gives no evidence for the claim of suppression of innate immunity based on the creation of a specific antigen antibodies. Now, I happen to believe that natural immunity is damaged by taking vaccines because of autoimmune attacks on our own body and organs, not because it is somehow suppresses your natural immunity by creating specific antibodies against the pathogen, as he claims. I am against all vaccines. This is Joel talking because I believe they encourage or cause autoimmune diseases, which all started in the 1980s, along with the introduction of the vastly increased schedule of vaccines for children. That is very true. Uh, my, my interjection here, back then, uh, there were, I think, roughly eight, eight or so, eight to a dozen vaccines that uh, a young child would be expected to take uh, through their high school years, and they would be fully vaccinated. Now there's dozens. Uh, the, the autism, continuing on, the autism epidemic started during this time as well. An MIT and Harvard study echoes the danger of the mRNA vaccines that Dr. Tenpenny warned against above. And he quotes, if our, this, so this is Dr. Tenpenny speaking, if our cells become permanent rather than temporary, spike protein producing factories with permanent alteration of our genomic DNA, this could lead to serious autoimmune problems, end quote. And so Joel continues, the anti-vaccine movement is all, okay. So, um, so anyway, that's part of what, you know, I'm, and he is, I think, representative of s several voices on, on the uh, side of, I would say, uh, vaccine truth that says we're not just going to blindly accept all vaccines as, as wonderful and beautiful just because you tell us. We actually want to look at the science. We're going to look at the history of, uh, of what these vaccines are doing and, and what things have happened since their introduction and, and um, things like that. Um, is that there's kind of a divide. Some some really latched onto this, and some said, "Hey, this this may not jive. He he may he's he's too close to the gates, and uh, he may be uh, purposely going out there to discredit uh, our own voices." Um, and like he says, Joel says, "I am skeptical skeptical that he claims too much with no evidence." Um, and then he says, yes, the vaccines cause a variety of health damage and even deaths, but the symptoms and damage are so varied that they defy tracing to any single cause and effect, which make it all that more difficult to make extreme claims of mass deaths. So I'm going to depart just slightly from this particular point on whether Geert is right or Geert is wrong, or whether he has enough evidence or not to make the claims. The point is the fact that Geert van den Bosch came out with this, being an insider, creates a problem for anyone who thinks that vaccines are vitamins and that they're all good and that anyone who is speaking against it is just uh, is just talking about fake news and doesn't know what they're talking about. And I'll explain why. First, if Garrett Vanden Bush um, 
is being sincere. He has a PhD um, and a, a doctrine in veterinary medicine, which is common for those working in the public health field. Um, if, if he is sincere with his decades of work in the vaccine industry, then that's a problem for people who just blindly accept vaccines. You have to say, okay, whoa, wait a minute. Why would somebody who loves vaccines is developing his own vaccine say that we need to not stop completely all the COVID-19 vaccinations? That one point should wake people up, a, a, a person up that says, oh, there's, there's just all, uh, I need, I'm just going to write it off completely. Um, or Facebook policies that say anything that's anti-vaccine, we're going to take down uh, because... This is not. Uh, this is. This would be a a reputable person from their own community saying, "Hey, we need to stop this. Let's stop the vaccines." And and you would think that at, that should open their mind and say, and at least uh, take a moment of pause to say, "Okay, let's look at this um, and look at the uh, look at it a little more closely and see if there's any merit to these arguments, like actual." A an actual debate in society, society should be is where we're looking for the actual merits of the arguments, not shutting people down before they have a, a chance to talk. We're looking at the merits, merits of the arguments. And something like this, if he's sincere, should should make someone who's in that camp say, okay, uh, this is one of my pals. This is one of the people that I've been following uh, for years and years and or at least has been creating the things that I've been championing for years and years. Or, or taking without uh, the least thought of, of concern, and now he's concerned, maybe I should be too. So if Geert is sincere and he's doing this because he is, he is he, of, of the strength of his argument as he claims he is, then that creates a problem for, for those who think are, who are saying that we should take vaccines without questioning. Now, on the other side, if Geert is being insincere and he is working as an insider, kind of the way, the way Joel Skousen is suggesting he might be, um, and creating another narrative that as the chess pieces, chess pieces move forward um, is going to either discredit those that are against the vaccinations or will, will work to their advantage by, by kind of uh, um, spending out the energy with, with claims that are just too big and that will fall flat, um, or it's a, as a test to see how far this, this will go. Bottom line, if he is working for the insider side, in other words, if he's working with Bill Gates and crowd rather than against him, then that also creates a person for this person who, for the, for the vaccine uh, sheeple or, or the herd of goats running off the cliff, you know, without thinking, doing whatever they, the, whatever the big voice on the tower is telling them to do, um, that also creates a problem for them because now they have to say, well, wait a minute, if... Uh, the establishment can be insincere about this. What else can they be insincere with? I'm going to play a quote uh, from uh, from uh, Nancy Pelosi that was broadcast on C-SPAN, which is stunning. Uh, when I first I, I saw this several months ago, and I thought that this really ought to have been the campaign uh, the campaign um, uh, clip that was played at every political campaign since she said this. And I'm really, I'm really surprised not more, not more people packed up, picked up on this other than uh, pandemicseries.com where I found this. Uh, but I'm going to play this for you and just, just see what you have to think about this and maybe put yourself in a position of someone who thinks that, um, that the, the, the fake news only comes from the people who are, who are against vaccines, who are quote unquote against science, even though we're, we're actually much more um, from at least from what I can tell in the arguments are much more versatile in, in the language of science and in looking at it. And that's why uh, we don't just drink what's coming through the, the big tower, you know, the big voice tower. Uh, telling us what to think uh, without actually thinking about it ourselves uh, and critically looking at the merits of the argument on both sides. Um, but just take a listen to this and see what a what you think of it and put yourself in the shoes of someone who thinks that um, that the mass media or the the multi the uh, you know what I'm trying to say uh, the, the, that the 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 primary voice or or I should say the official voice, 
can never make a mistake. Listen to this. And I am working on my technical savviness here to make these transitions a little smoother. If you can just bear with me for a moment. There's an industry that is paid to go after and target journalists, whistleblowers, and inundate our consciousness and the images we see to try to ruin, destroy, or smear the idea that they don't like or the person who's delivering it. You smear somebody with falsehoods and all the rest, and then you merchandise it. And then you write it, and they'll say, see, it's reported in the press, so they have that validation that the press reported the smear and then it's called the wrap-up smear. Now I'm going to merchandise the press's report on the smear that we made. That, it's, it's a tactic. So I hope you were able to listen to that. Um, and one, one of the first glaring things that stand out to me that is how she rationalizes her blatant endorsement of lies, quote-unquote, what she calls smear, uh, based, you know, uh, based on a made-up story, um, and she calls it, and she, and she, she, and she um, reduces the crime in her mind of an outright lie by saying it's a tactic, it's a tactic, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a way of of winning political office. It's a way of winning. It's a way of doing what we do in politics. It's a tactic. We lie, um, but they're actually explaining. Uh, prima facie, what they actually do in order to create a false narrative, and then they go out and say that um, that the other side is the one creating the false narrative when they actually point out what they're doing, uh, that they're that they're lying. Um, I'm going to play this quote later on, uh, but if you want to actually see her say it, which is I think even more powerful, go to pandemicseries.com. If you haven't watched that video, you need to watch it all the way through. It's only about an hour long and or hour and a half um and it has uh, additional videos including the 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 first pandemic movie that came out uh with judy mikovitz which is which is very informative as well but at if you want to go straight to this quote because your jaw is probably dropping and you can't believe she actually said this on tv uh maybe not realizing that c-span was actually recording this and broadcasting it because she was talking to a bunch of um uh, reporters in a in a small closed room and may not have realized what that this was actually going to go out to the world or be available to the world uh, but you need to see this her actually saying this so go to pandemicseries.com and go to minute 26 and you will see her actually saying it so what i just played to you for you was um it started out with with actually a a, a small clip from uh, uh, oh, who, what was her name? Um, I'm actually going to play this here so I can hopefully see that uh, Cheryl Atkinson. Uh, she was a CBS reporter that um, was uh, both censored and spied on, and she wrote a great book about it. Um, and she she basically was explaining this. The, you heard her introduction, um, and then it's followed by that quote from from Nancy Pelosi, which you absolutely have to see her actually say it with a straight face in front of all those reporters of, of how to create a lie that, that she would create the lie that they would then report on the lie. And then she would use that media, the media stories as proof that her lie was, was correct. Um, and so I use that as an example that this is, this is what you have to watch out for. This is why you have to actually care about where you get your media. Are you getting your media from people who adopt those kind of practices as quote unquote, just a tactic, or are you going to look for media that believes in pursuing the truth? Uh, like one of the people I've, I've heard before, pursuing the truth wherever it leads, um, that are actually looking for arguments based on their merit, not based on um, whether it's going to help someone win an election or not. Um, that are looking, there, and so people that, are, uh, that base their reporting on on principle rather than on lies. Um, and so with that, I'm gonna, you know, there are sources out there that I think do this. Uh, one of them I mentioned today is The World Affairs Brief by Joel Skousen. Now I have disagreements with Joel Skousen. In fact, I think in a way he's kind of rude uh, on a personal level. Um, my interaction with him has not been all that great. In fact, I was uh, kind of uh, upset with him enough that I wanted to just 
quit reading his newsletter and, and not subscribe anymore. Uh, but uh, he does a really good job. And so I'm still reading it and, and I'm really happy that he is out there. Um, and like uh, uh, Dallin H. Oaks uh, said, he uh, previous uh, Utah Supreme Court justice, um, just recently last weekend in a general conference um, for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he said, uh, no one political party or political person I'm paraphrasing is going to have all the characteristics and traits and opinions um, to satisfy uh, someone else's opinion or outlook on life perfectly. I just paraphrased that whole thing, and he I'm sure he said it much better. Um, and so certainly that's where I stand with Joel Skousen on some things. But in general, he's very good at reporting what's going on and cutting to the chase and doing it from a perspective of this is what's actually going on. This is the truth. And certainly not doing uh, pursuing lies as a tactic. Um, and other sources that I think are extremely good are the New American. That's why I started out this podcast. If you've seen any of my pre or listened to any of my previous uh, podcasts, that's how I'm how I started uh, to get used to this forum and how to record and and you know post something uh, was reading articles articles from the New American. They have some of the best uh, uh, research centers, uh, probably the best research center in the country. Um, and so one of these days I'll I'll get you details on that. But the the New American is one of those sources. Uh, the Epoch Times, relatively new kid on the block, but actually absolutely doing a storming job uh, uh, getting real news out there, especially when it, where it comes to China. Um, uh, and especially key right now when China is having so much uh, influence on our media and what's allowed to be put in our movies and, and uh, even influencing our sports teams and what they can do and say and so as not to offend the Chinese market. Uh, and so here you have the Epoch Times coming out and saying, uh, along with other voices like the New American or the World Affairs Brief, uh, saying what's actually going on and not being afraid of what China is going to say. And so that's the other piece of finding reliable information is finding out who sponsors the information you're getting. And in for most of the mainstream media, they are sponsored the majority of their money is coming from pharmaceutical companies, pharmaceutical companies that have been sued and, and proven in court to be lying, to be, um, and uh, once again, topic for another podcast, uh, but, but pharmaceutical companies that have an established record of not being forthright with what's going on with their drugs, but they get, oh, they pay a lot of money to politicians and media companies so that no one wants to offend them. And with the case of China, they have a huge market. And China says, if you want a piece of this market, you have to do what we say. Uh, and so uh, finding your those voices that are independent of those influences becomes critically important uh, when you're actually pursuing the truth. Uh, one of the things, challenges I think that uh, Donald Trump had was that he, he was, well, for one thing, he did not see the chess moves that were being played with this COVID-19 thing. Um, and in fact, right now, as he's pushing uh, the vaccine as strongly as he is, not realizing that um, the the problems that it has and, and bragging about it, I, uh, I think still goes to show that he's, um, he was, he is, has a, a little bit of a blind spot for the mainstream media and those that have been raised in the mainstream media culture uh, because they are trying to please the pharmaceutical companies with uh, with their set of priorities. Um, so I want to just re repeat that. I'm going to um, play that quote one more time, and then we're going to switch over to another topic. So just a moment here while I play that quote, hopefully with uh, a little less uh, of a break in between. Just a moment here. There's an industry that is paid to go after and target journalists, whistleblowers, and inundate our consciousness and the images we see to try to ruin, destroy, or smear the idea that they don't like or the person who's delivering it. You smear somebody with falsehoods and all the rest, and then you merchandise it. And then you write it, and they'll say, see, it's reported in the press, so they have that validation that the press reported the smear. And then it's called the wrap-up smear. Now I'm going to merchandise the press's report 
on the smear that we made. And it's, it's a tactic. It's a tactic, Nancy Pelosi says. Lying is a tactic. And I'm going to teach you reporters how to uh, lie for me so that we can get the ends that we want, even though uh, we know that everything we're doing to get there is dishonest and wrong. Um, so keep that uh, keep that in your back pocket. If you have not seen PlandemicSeries.com yet, the documentary there uh, by the name of uh, Plandemic Indoctrination, you need to um, stop this podcast go watch that at least watch starting at minute 26 to see that quote that i just showed you um, and have that in your back pocket when uh, people uh, are having a hard time believing that the mainstream media could how could they possibly uh, uh, go against you know be be lying how could the mainstream media possibly lie to to us um, share that quote with them and i think it opens it actually has it has a potential to open someone's eyes so what, I, what I'm going to come up to next, um, for some may not be especially um, uh, interesting. Uh, for those that know uh, the background of Nauvoo uh, or appreciate Nauvoo, um, I suspect that portion of the crowd will probably find this slightly more interesting. So, uh, But I'm going to start talking about Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 5 in particular, in particular. Um, and just kind of point um, point you to someone who I think has a great commentary on Isaiah um, and how it relates to uh, what we're seeing today and prophecies that are made today. Um, you know, the uh, I was actually listening to Dinesh D'Souza today, and he was asked about uh, what what does he think about uh, the fulfillment of prophecy in the current uh, in the current in current events and specifically with regard to the great reset does that does that for him appear to be written or prophesied in the bible and he had his own commentary on that but my point is i'm sorry but my point is um that 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 scriptural prophecy um is is being talked about right now in current events which i think is great um people need to look at the bible and so my intent with this is kind of like uh, the way the director described his intent behind The Chosen, uh, which season two just came out, which is uh, episode one. I just watched episode one tonight, which is amazing of season two. If you haven't watched The Chosen, put that on your list for your Friday nights. Um, it will be so much fun for you and your family, uh, even if you are not. Uh, much of a a Bible person, or haven't read a whole lot of the Bible, it will be. It's extremely entertaining. Um, but his his point is 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 they're not a nonprofit. That they are a TV a TV show company, and they're they're making this video. But their goal is that as they uh, share this story of the life of Christ in this TV series, The Chosen, which you can find it on the Chosen app uh, for your phone, or you can go to vidangel.com. It will also be there. Um, but his point is to hopefully not just entertain, but encourage interest in actually picking up the Bible and, and reading what's in there. Um, and so hopefully, uh, this will have, uh, as, as I start weaving in some discussion of things that I'm learning or think are worth discussing in the Bible, it would have that same, uh, same effect, not so much to convince you of my interpretation or of my hesitance to, uh, or, or I guess misgivings to how other people are interpreting, interpreting various passages, but hopefully, uh, to increase your interest to go check it out for yourself and, and, uh, and look for that, uh, those connections on your own. But so if that doesn't interest you, you know, go to the next podcast. Uh, if it does, let me share a, a few thoughts that I had as, uh, from, as I was listening about commentary on Isaiah chapter five. And so I'm going to put this person's um, podcast also in the show notes so that you can uh, listen to it. It's uh, it's by the name of uh, Abraham Gileadi. I hope I said that last name right. Uh, he actually uh, is a Hebrew scholar that has, he put uh, all the Hebrew annotations in the footnotes of uh, the King James version of the Bible that is used by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on their official um, uh, canon of scripture. So for those of you that are uh, members of that church, uh, you will you'll find his commentary interesting as he, you know, 
you, you already have his commentary in your scriptures, um, and, you know, in the footnotes where, you know, where it says Hebrew, that he's giving uh, an, uh, an explanation of what that Hebrew term could mean or be relating to uh, from the Old Testament. And so, so he was the one that did all those. And he has a very good podcast uh, by the name of, once again, uh, trying to make my uh, technical transitions here a little smoother, uh, but it's by the name of Isaiah Institute, Avraham Gileadi, uh, A-V-R-A-H-A-M, uh, Gileadi, Isaiah Institute. If you look it up on any... Uh, any podcast platform and, and you'll be able to find that there. And basically he has an episode for every chapter of Isaiah. And so for many people, um, Isaiah is a little bit of a challenge to, to read through. Uh, but it's really exciting listening to, to his interpretation of Isaiah as uh, with the background that he has of Hebrew culture and of how these symbols of both the present time for Isaiah and our time um, weave and connect to each other with key words that connect uh, various ideas throughout the whole book. And so there's a there's a podcast for each chapter. And so I would encourage you uh, encourage you to start off with chapter one, and because uh, that really gives you the background to be looking at uh, chapter five, which I'm going to be discussing today, or or discussing. So overall, I love I love Abraham Abraham's work. Absolutely amazing. It really brings the book of Isaiah to life. Um, and so, Abraham, if you ever happen a chance to listen to this, absolutely, I love I love your work, and I really appreciate everything you've done to bring those podcasts uh, to us where we can listen to it um, on our phone. Uh, even though I wasn't able to be there to actually listen to you in person, it's so great to actually listen to your work. Um, but I do want to discuss one item that he brought up in Isaiah chapter 5. And so in Isaiah chapter 5, He's talking about um, a he he well he goes through all the verses but the the verse that I that I take issue with and how he described it is in verse eight uh, where he says uh, he's describing um, uh, the how this is going to be in the latter days and it's, and Isaiah says woe unto them that join house to house that lay field to field till there be no place uh, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth and so. Um, his point is, he gives the modern day examples that uh, we'll see, it's these people that create zoning laws that you can only have 20 acre properties and, and they make it so that it's impossible to have uh, any, any land and therefore uh, everyone ends up living in these condominiums and, or townhouses or, you know, being all packed together all in the cities. And uh, um, I, think he's, I think he's taking issue with the wrong group of people um, because he, he mentions zoning laws multiple times as, as kind of a, an arm of where those problems are coming from. Z zoning laws that don't allow people to have uh, acreage because, you know, they're, they're making these zoning laws for 20 acres and more and, and no one can afford that. So therefore they all have to move to the cities and, and live in condominiums. So um, I think perhaps Abraham may have, uh, some bad experience with zoning laws, uh, but I was on a planning commission for a little while. My my parents were involved in, in uh, city government for several years, and I can tell you that the push is not for zoning um, for big acreage. The push always um, is for smaller and smaller and smaller uh, acreage, or um, uh, in order in order to make the people that are pushing for the zoning changes to make money. And I'll explain why. Um, if I have a, a 200 acre plot, I can make, make way more money turning that 200 acres into a condominium complex because now I get paid for multiple times. I'm getting paid five or six times per acre versus a dividing it up into five acre subdivisions where I'm only getting paid you know, one time for every five acres. And so from a developer's perspective, the smaller you can get the city to agree to allow you to zone it, the better because they make more money. And so in, in contrary to, I think, Abraham's opinion that zoning laws that, that keep acreage together are what's causing people to move to condominiums, it's the absolute opposite. It's the, the push to, to make every location a city 
um, that is reducing our opportunity to actually live um, out of the city or or with a little more acreage. And so you kind of have to lis listen to uh, uh, his his whole you know four chapters leading up to that to understand why this is important. Uh, but I will mention that, um, and and unfortunately, I don't have the article in here in front of me. If I find that, hopefully, I'll be able to comment on it later. But I remember uh, reading a short time ago that there's a push to make living away from the city much harder to um, than it is now. Uh, so right now, you know, you can go out and you can find your own well. You can you know work with the septic tank and and you can live away from city services. And there's a push, especially with this Agenda 21, now Agenda 30, to bring people in from the country and put them into cities. And so with that, they're trying to make the regulations that uh, allow you to live out in the country much harder. Um, and so so the push is, I, th I, th I feel like, I bring this up because I feel like Abraham's um, discussion was attacking the, the very people that are actually defending our opportunities to have land and not be forced into the condominiums, not be forced into the apartments to be stacked up on top of each other, but still have an opportunity to have land where we can grow our food or, or to, um, um, uh, the, and not, uh, to have some of those resources available to us that you have when you have a little piece of land that it's not the people preserving the zoning laws that require, let's say, this neighborhood is an acre of land per house. It's actually the people that are saying, let's reduce the zoning laws so so the own you know only condominiums and apartments can be here that are creating the situation that is described here in Isaiah chapter five. So hopefully, uh, whether you agree with my assessment or not, hopefully that has piqued your interest a little bit into his podcast. I highly encourage you to go to that and listen to that, um, starting, of course, at Isaiah chapter one. Um, absolutely amazing commentary on Isaiah. And as uh, Jesus Christ said, uh, study the words of Isaiah. And especially at these times as we come into the fulfillment of many of the prophecies of Isaiah. Uh, so that's it for today. Um, oh, I did, I did want to kind of, oh, another thing, another thing from, uh, from commentary of Abraham's chapter five. I just have to squeeze this in here is he, he discusses uh, some examples of uh, when Isaiah talks about people that will have false attachments. And uh, he, he discusses that it's people that have their own thing that get, that allow, you know, that's their thing, it's their, I think he's kind of referring to hobbies. And in my mind, uh, he was kind of attacking the person who, you know, maybe not attacking, but um, giving as an example, the person who likes to fix his cars on the weekend or, you know, the person who uh, likes to learn to cook or do emergency preparedness or, you know, that's their thing, uh, that that's a false attachment. And I don't know if that's what he actually meant. That's kind of how I interpreted his, what, what he was saying. But I think that there is a much more glaring false attachments or, or set of false attachments you can point to that are the scourge of uh, Israel, speaking of the Lord's people, then and or the scourge of a fallen nation or a nation that's about to be chastised uh, rather than the angle that I thought he was taking. And so my examples of that are um, the false attachments that we see with uh, Facebook, uh, this constant connection to people that you don't really know and don't really have attachments with, but you kind of think you have an attachment with them. Uh, I, I know that's not the case for everyone on Facebook. I think Facebook is, you know, has been used for extremely good ways in connecting people and unifying people in, in common interests. But I think there are some people whose life becomes scanning through Facebook and they feel like there's a, they are attached to people when they're not. Or the same with Twitter. They feel like they're attached to these celebrities because they see their Twitter come up uh, with the latest celebrity tw tweet. Uh, and they think they have an attachment there, but they really don't. Um, and they start building this emotional connection to a false attachment. Uh, another situation is are the those that are the fascinated with uh, the lives of celebrities. They're you know they're they're reading People magazine every weekend, and they're and they're they know every detail of these celebrities' lives, even though those celebrities are are 
a thousand miles away from them and will never know anything about them, have no attachment to them, have no, um, no inclination to, to even know these people. And yet they have this emotional attachment to these uh, celebrities because they're reading all about their lives in People magazine, et cetera, et cetera, thinking uh, that they have this fake uh, sense of attachment with these, uh, their, their, the, the, these celebrities, which really there is really just an, a, a, an increase of the connection that they have via watching them on movies, playing fictional characters, and they ascribe these qualities of these fictional characters to the actual actor or actress and, uh, and then follow their lives. Think, and like I said, having a false attachment to these people. Other, other false attachments are TV shows. Uh, you know, f- uh, having to watch that next episode, that next episode, that next episode, even when there's no redeeming quality of the episodes other than that they're leading from one cliffhanger to the next, to the next, to the next, in an environment where the writers can create whatever cliffhanger they want because they have, they they are completely unrestrained from having to respect actual rules of real society or nature and can create whatever situation they want to make it look like you've got to watch the next one, especially if you're invested in the characters. So that investment in the characters that drives this kind of irrational um, uh, loyalty to watching these, you know, soap operas or TV shows or whatever is also a false attack can also be a false attachment. And same thing in computer games. Uh, uh, this, this false attachment to, to, uh, account these, these false accomplishments that are made in computer games, um, by, you know, the, uh, especially the very complex ones where people will spend years building up their, their, uh, life, in this fake world, uh, World of Warcraft comes to mind. Now, not to say, I mean, I've had some friends, I've never played it myself, but I have some friends that have really enjoyed that game, and I'm sure it's a lot of fun. Uh, but it, I think it does open the opportunity for false attachments, and I think anyone that has actually played that game or games like it um, uh, will would concede that there are many who pursue a life of false attachments in games like that, where they spend they, their, their life in the game uh, starts replacing their actual real life and the attachments they should be uh, cultivating and making in their real life. And so I think when you look at that, uh, uh, those false attachments, you can certainly see the realization of Isaiah's prophecy of the false attachments that would exist in our day. Uh, so those are so those are some of my thoughts for today. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to start um, uh, putting uh, doing these podcasts a little more regularly. I think I'll start uh, uh, also be oh oh I've got to share this. I've got to share another thought here. Um, let me take a quick break and come up and come with my uh, last segment about the uh, the military crackdown on quote-unquote extremists and my thoughts on that. So uh, more to come in just a second. Okay, I'm coming back. Uh, probably hasn't seemed like a minute to you, but it was a few minutes for me. Um, so the the what I want to comment on right now is actually an article from the Epoch Times uh, that was published on uh, online. And I, th- I think that there may have been a version of this that also came out in the print paper, but it was... Uh, Printed on March 16th, 2021, updated March 18th, 2021. Uh, and the title was Pentagon Criticized for Wrong Priorities Amid China Threat. I will put the link to this article. It is a premium article, so you have, do have to be a paid subscriber, I believe, to actually read this one. Um, uh, but it, it is a, uh, uh, but I will have that in the show notes if you want to look at that one. So this one struck close to home uh, because one of my, friends that I used to go to college with um, and run with one of my one of my good college buddies uh, is actually the um, was actually sharing the the Pentagon's response uh, to the epic times on the the quote-unquote um, focus on extremists in its own ranks uh, that has been the focus of the, the Defense Department uh, recently after Secretary of Defense uh, Lloyd Austin uh, came to uh, his position and has basically sent out a memo saying that they were going to um, actually see if I can can read some of this um, uh, of this memo. Uh, 
And so I want to I want to share a little bit of of what the memo is, uh, my uh, my take on it um, from having been in the military and recently um, departed from it, and also my take on my my friend uh, Lieutenant Colonel Uriah Orland, uh, who I haven't. Honestly, spoken to since we graduated, so it's not like we're best buds or anything. But, but we did have some good, uh, some good experiences together, and and we went through, went through school together. Um, and it's it's made me pause a little bit to see how he can be where he is, saying the things he is, and and how that comes to be. And so, uh, the first thing to give a quick summary of this, if you haven't been following it, is that the there was a memo uh, from the Secretary of Defense that directed unit commanders on February 5th to conduct a leadership stand down within 60 days to address the issues of extremist ideology in all branches of the service. A memo followed titled, quote unquote, leadership stand down to address extremism in the force, which was uh, issued February 26th, which mandates that unit commanders determine security threats by service personnel aligned with extremists and specifically white supremacists. Um, Media critics have called it a purity test. The order followed news that several of the people who breached the U.S. Capitol on January 6th were active or former military. And um, one one person said, yes, we should root out all extremists, but it should be across all ideologies, anarchists, communists, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and Nazis, and regulations on the books already prescribed that, Walt said. Um, as um, So that was actually from uh, Representative Michael Waltz, uh, representative from Florida, who is also in the U.S. Army Reserve was expressing concern about this uh, this memo, and so the memo specifically targets quote racially and ethnically motivated violent extremists, including white supremacists and other domestic terrorists such as anti-government violent extremists. Uh, four examples of impermissible groups cited in the stand down memo are either white supremacists or neo-Nazi groups. Lieutenant Colonel Uriah Orland, the Pentagon spokesman, responded to queries from the Epoch Times about why Antifa, communists, and jihadists were not mentioned as domestic terrorist threats. And this is what he responds, quote, We've been fighting a war against terrorism for more than 20 years. It is ingrained and everyone knows it's bad. The stand-down is focused at recent events, as stated in the leadership stand-down framework, Orland said. Within a broad scope of prohibited activity is included terrorist activity, anarchist activity, etc., as these are all detrimental to good order, discipline, or mission accomplishment, or are incompatible with military service and against the law. The February 26 memo. So, so on the surface, it sounds like Orland is saying, "Hey, um, we already know that all these other organizations that you just mentioned that we did not mention are bad, so that's why we didn't mention it." Uh, but he goes in to say uh, that the reason why we're doing this now is because of what happened recently. Um, and and then he goes on to say, um, and I actually pulled this quote so I didn't have to be looking for it. Um, it says, um, creating an environment that is free from discrimination, hate, and harassment against others will not hurt morale and recruitment. Um, this flies in the face of what others uh, who have been in the military are saying, uh, like General Boykin, who said that this is very damaging to morale and will impact recruitment and retention, said Boykin, currently vice president of the Family Research Council in Washington. This effort will destroy our military, he said. Uh, and uh, within a broad scope of, uh, it's, yeah, so, so what I'm saying, or what I'm going to say is, is that Orland is wrong um, and Boykin is right. Uh, this is very damaging to morale and will impact recruitment and retention and that it is putting our heads in the sand to think that it won't. Uh, when I was, uh, during some years of my military service, I recall when the Obama, Obama administration was in charge, I was concerned about signing petitions uh, because, uh, and this was before Snowden came out, uh, but I already had the sense and the feel from my experience that um, the administration was could see everything in, on everybody and that they were also vindictive in, uh, in chasing, like Obama said, um, uh, punishing their, oh, I, I, I'm not going to quote the, uh, 
quote his quote because I don't have it uh, memorized, but it was is that he was going to wield the the instruments of political power to punish his enemies and and reward his friends. Um, that's my paraphrase. Uh, those of you that are familiar with what I'm talking about would be able to say the quote better. But um, but I knew that that was the environment that we had under Mark Commander Chief. So so even though as a quote unquote I had the right to sign petitions, uh, as long as I wasn't doing it in the name of being a an Air Force member, um, I was still concerned that by doing so, I would be uh, inviting the wrath of Obama administration uh, uh, chasers uh, to find out who in the ranks were signing petitions that were maybe against uh, his political policy. And so I restrained from that. Uh, I donated to campaigns. I wrote, uh, I wrote a particular senator and I said, hey, I, I'm really in support of this petition you're doing, but I don't feel safe doing it as a military member. I didn't get any response from that, um, and probably because it was uh, part of a push for, for a, you know, these petitions, and, and probably had a lot of staffers going through stuff. I, I'm not sure that he ever saw that particular comment, but I share that because by, even back in the Obama days, um, that was the atmosphere, um, and it's a hundred times worse, I think, now with what Biden has done, and and fortunately, I'm not. I'm not there to experience it. I'm very happy, but I could, if I wanted to, I could potentially theoretically join the reserves, uh, but I have no intention or desire to do so right now uh, with the, with the current climate of uh, this, this witch hunt to see it as, as I think is being correctly interpreted um, a witch hunt for Donald Trump supporters in the military. Um, and under the guise of quote unquote extremism, um, it's really to shut up anyone that doesn't uh, agree with the administration. And, and uh, so I have no desire to do that. And so when Orlin says, you know, this is, this is not going to hurt morale and recruitment. Uh, well, at least for this one, it is hurting recruitment. And which is the exact intent of this is to make people like me not want to join the military and it's working. Um, it's working for me at least. I guarantee it's working for many others as well. And so it comes back to my good buddy, Uriah Orland. Um, and I, I seriously doubt he'll ever listen to this or hear this, but if he were, I would say, this is not personal, Uriah. I think you're a great guy. And, you know, uh, I, I, we haven't spoken since, since college, but I think, um, just from what I knew about you in college, that, that I knew you, I know you'd still be a great guy. But I'm going to share this, that this is what happens in the military, is that like any any job, you've got to please your boss. And right now, he's working at the Pentagon. He's got to please his boss. And he's going to have to uh, write whatever his boss wants him to write in order to keep his job and continue to get promoted. And, it's, and that is why it is so important that the leaders that we put at the top of our military our leaders that we want the rest of the force copying because that's what's going to get copied uh, in order to continue pleasing their bosses, in order to uh, continue to get promoted and, and uh, get good ratings on their, on their performance reports. They're going to m mirror what their boss is. And so we have to be very careful about who we put up there is, is because we will eventually have a force that mirrors who we have at the top. And in this case, um, they are, that's exactly what they want. They want, uh, they want a force that mirrors the Biden agenda and that doesn't have Trump supporters in it. That's how, that's how I see it. And granted, fortunately, I'm not living through it. And, uh, and so if you do know people that are in the military, ask them about it, see how they're taking this, um, this, uh, quote unquote, witch hunt, if it is a witch hunt or not. Um, I'd be interested to hear uh, what you have to say. So that brings me to my last and final point. This has been a hugely long podcast, but I, I felt like I just had to get some stuff out there or else it was never, ever going to be out there because um, things are just rolling along so so quickly. Uh, but I do want to open an opportunity to hear from you that are listening. And so uh, in the next podcast or very soon thereafter, uh, I'm going to be providing some 
contact information specifically for this podcast, where you can share with me either uh, your thoughts, your questions, um, if there are topics that you'd like me to delve into more or to um, to amplify. Um, I'd like to hear uh, what you might have to say. And so uh, be on the lookout for that uh, next time. I hope to have that set up by the next time I do a podcast. And hopefully uh, we can discuss things like this where I, I can say, hey, uh, if you know someone in the military going through this, I'd like to hear what you're hearing their experiences. And, uh, and we can uh, share that together on this podcast. So thank you very much uh, for listening. And uh, I have noticed I've, uh, I actually have some listeners in some Spanish-speaking countries now. So I'm actually considering... Uh, uh, doing a Spanish podcast. Uh, I'm interested to see if there would be interest in that as well. Uh, but I will talk to you later and hope you all have a great day wherever you are. Thanks a lot. Bye.